Hey guys, and welcome back. This is War Council. My name is Caleb Dillon. And I'm Philip Foreman with Brushwork Minis. And uh, this is a podcast dedicated to um, hobby and painting and all things miniature and war game related. Uh, and it's been a little bit of a, a, a pause from our last podcast. We normally try to do these about every other week. And unfortunately, just due to circumstances, uh, I had a vacation and that was a circumstance that my wife would not allow me to avoid. Uh, we had to take an extra week off. So it's been a few weeks. Uh, it's been a week longer than we'd like to. Um, and also in the interim, um, Philip started a new job. He's got a brand new profession in addition to his, oh, yes. his war game painting. How, how is that going overall? It's good. Three weeks in, so still learning the uh, the trade. It's sales, so, you know, there's lots of stuff to learn on your particular product, but it's going well. So, Do you find that um, when, you, when you're when you doing a sales job like that, it helps you talking to clients like in your regular brushwork mini stuff, or is it kind of a, a skill that you really can't take to that? No, I mean, sales is, is sales, so, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's building point. reports, it's you know, getting to know the customer. So, True. yeah, definitely transfers. Um, I was not selling when I was in Myrtle Beach with my wife a week ago. We uh, we take our yearly anniversary down there, and we always go a week after the season's over because it's nice, it's quiet, and uh, it, it's it's sort of like it reminds me of like a frat house after the party's over because it's kind of it's kind of dirty, but it's like no one's really around, so the lines are short, and it's a lot of fun, uh, and the rates are usually a little bit better. Uh, and I was surprised by how many haunted houses were in Myrtle Beach. I don't know if you've ever been. But apparently they need stuff for the kids to do, so every yeah. other block there's a haunted house, which is haunted weird houses. on a beach town. Yeah. yeah. Um, we didn't go to any of them, but we really wanted to go to this one that was called, like, Zombie. It was called, like, it wasn't called Area 51, but it was something like that. And it, was, it sort of reminded me of, like, uh, The Walking Dead. It was obviously meant to be a Walking Dead ripoff. Interesting. Uh, but it was associated with Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum. And, uh, that I have seen. Yeah, I have, I have not actually gone. I, I haven't. Yeah, there is. There's quite a few. They have like one for everything. Yeah. And they have one at Broadway on the beach. It's like this upside down mansion that's like a mind maze kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was not going to spend 40 bucks a person to go in there. Good so Lord. Uh, so we, we decided just to go get beer and crab and shrimp and we had a good time. Um, okay, so we're back back in business, back on the podcast. Um, our main topic tonight is going to be style versus technique. We're going to talk about the differences between stylistic painting and technically accurate painting and the pros and cons of both. Uh, before we get into that, though, um, the White Metal Game web design is fully in operation at this point. Not fully operational, but fully in process. Um, I don't know who out there has ever tried to transition from one template to another, but it's full of wacky little bugs, and um, the old site was was fine for what it was when we first got started five years ago. It was great, but as times have changed, and specifically as mobile devices have become more a part of our everyday life, we wanted a site that was interactive with your mobile device and that would look good on anything. And I find that I correspond with clients on iPhones, or I always say iPhones, but mobile devices, far more than they do on computers these days. And I find that if I send them documents like a, a, a quote, they don't even, they can't even read them on their, their mobile device because their OS won't work with those document types. So it's like this weird, frustrating in between. And I've had to adjust how I do it now, or I put the quote in the email directly so they can see it on their phone. But anyway, needless to say, the new site's going to be great. It's going to have lots of new stuff. We are kind of still working on it. So if you go to visit it, you may see some buggy areas where some of the pages look like the old pages. Some of the pages have old data, but we're, we're slowly migrating everything over. So just be patient with us. Um, what else we got going on? I had a second class at Event Horizon Games. 
and uh, you remember how, how well the first class went. Uh, yes. uh, the second class did not disappoint. It was equally the same turnout, so oh, none turnout. none as well. Um, and I've got a good a good arrangement going with the owner there, so we've, we've got a good spirit about it. I just sat there and paint for a couple hours. Um, and this week, um, when the, you know no one showed up, I painted for an hour. I, gave, I put in a solid hour. And at that point, uh, all the 40K guys were kind of coming over and hanging out and asking me some questions. And I was like, you know what, forget this. So I put my paintbrush down, I went over, and I hung out with them over at their table. And I guess I kind of forgot the value of just being part of the crowd Mm -hmm. and talking to people. And uh, I find that when I go and I'm part of the gaming experience, I don't know if it actually helps my sales, but it helps my spirit a little bit. You've been regularly attending games over at Atomic Empire recently, right? Uh, A little bit here and there. Um, Actually, uh, more at the Games Workshop. Do you find you get a chance? Well, I know the Games Workshop store is a little weirder about this, but do you find you get a chance to like hand out business cards or anything like that? Or I know? haven't done that so much. I am able to talk about what I do. Sure. So it's definitely a place to, you know, like I said earlier, build rapport. Um, you get is your it, name out there. You get to know people. Is it kind of a hush hush thing where if you do do business with them, you have to kind of take them on the corner and sort of, like, <laughs> you know, like here's my card, man. Like so that so the GW guy doesn't see you. Yeah. Um, luckily, I haven't had to worry too much about that. I think the better thing to do is just direct them to my website. That's good. Or to my Facebook page. Good. I don't have a website yet. That's true. <laughs> um, take it from me. You're not <laughs> you're not missing much because the pain. <laughs> um, I did have my first, this was kind of fun, I had my first mentoring session with a guy about uh, last week. There was a painter out there named Sebastian, and he has a studio in Canada called Fluffy Cheese Studio, which you'll never forget that name. No. Uh, and he's, he's a good painter, and he's getting his site off the ground, and so he called me for some general advice. So I offered to do a mentoring session with him, um, just to sort of a, as a trial run, and it, it worked. It worked actually pretty well. I was actually pretty pleased with it. Um, so we did that, and uh, I actually posted that on Google. But I'm not for sure if it's the kind of. I thought about this afterwards, and I was like, maybe I should pull it down so I'm not giving away the the, the milk for free kind of thing. You know, it's like. Yeah, it was if the cow. I don't know some analogy in there about cows and milk, and so I, I want other people to like pay for the service. Um, but it was kind of a fun test run. It actually ran into two hours, so it went way over longer than I thought it would. Um, okay, so um, what else was it? Oh, actually, we can use this to transition right into On the Painting Desk, which is our segment where we talk about painting. Um, we've actually we actually kind of tag-teamed up on a couple of different things mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks. We uh, The Celestant Prime came out for the um, Sigmar line. She's the big, I don't know, what would you call her, an angel, I guess? Kind of, yeah. I mean, she's about the same size as a normal Sigmar, but she's got these huge wings. Is it even a she? I call her a girl. I don't know why. I don't even know if they have females. Yeah, that's a good point. I think they do, actually. Someone was commenting that. I think they should, if it's sort of like a Nordic-inspired Valhalla kind of thing. They Mm -hmm. should have like a Valkyrie kind of thing. But the prosecutors look very masculine to me, so they don't look feminine. Um, But anyway, so we did a Celestant Prime, and we did a lot of airbrushing on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the galaxy that's kind of swirling beneath her feet... Uh, we just kind of had a tag team where you came over to the studio one day, and we just worked together for a couple hours, and I showed you some stuff, you showed me some stuff, and uh, I, I think overall she came out really great. Yeah. So she'll be posted uh, on the Facebook page, and we'll also post her on eBay, as usual, to sell her. Um, let's see what else. You would recently did a uh, an Ultramarine commission, but it was a little mm-hmm. bit different, and you finished that up. How did that go? Pretty good. So it was a little different. Um, I think it was Brothers of Ultramar? Brotherhood of Ultramar. Right. So they are... Ultramarines in black. Ultramarines in black. So if you can kind of cross Black Templar with Ultramarines, they got all the signals or whatever the symbols, U shapes, and all that. But 
it was pretty much black and gold. Yeah. Uh, with green as uh, like your gems or I guess the eyes and uh, visors and all that. So I thought it looked really sharp, and it's yeah. it's different, which is nice for ultramarines. And mm -hmm. if you wanted to blend it in with another army, like let's say Black Templars, it would really easily integrate. Definitely. So. Um, and we're not going to talk about this too much, but I was really blown away with the uh, the transfers on it. And I think in one of the future product reviews, we'll talk about that. But mm -hmm. um, when you see the pictures of this thing, check out the transfers. I'll do a close-up. And they just blend in super smoothly. They look really great. Um, my work on the giant uh, commission for this one client, my, my preferred client of the year, uh, continues. And I'm in priming hell right now. I've been priming all week. <laughs> and you don't think about how hard it is. You know, I was thinking about this earlier because I have a, a lot of people who request priming on projects. And I had to sort of come up with a mnemonic for how much does priming account for the project? How much does assembly account for the project? And I roughly came up with the idea that priming is about 10% of the value of the model. And the way I came to that is because I a lot of see a lot of people prime really poorly, mm -hmm. and I normally prime thinly, and I have to go over it with two layers because inevitably, no matter how I do it, I miss something yep. under an arm. <laughs> Always. And that's the problem with spray paint is when you do spray paint, well, there's two problems. One is when you do spray priming, if it's humid, it gets this really, like, bubbly, bubbly yeah. gunky texture, and you're better just to strip down and start over if you get there. Uh, the other thing is is that with spray paint it's really hard to get in the crevices and if you do get lucky and get down in there you've probably sprayed too much paint so the airbrush is slower but you generally get a, a better prime I think definitely um, so when I thought like that's good I should do that I didn't think about how this applied to like 400 models and man is it it just takes forever but um, that progress will continue to move forward and uh, we got a couple other commissions on deck that are coming our way uh, we'll talk about those more in the uh, coming weeks. Um, uh, we've got some more Brotherhood of Ultramar coming in, it looks like. And we've got some more RPG minis coming in, it looks mm -hmm. like, for a gold level. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We, have, we don't have a lot of stuff at gold level yet, so it'll be nice to have some new level samples. Um, anything you're working on paint-wise? Yeah, actually. Um, so I found a model I started. It's a Gut Rot Spoom from the Nurgle Fantasy line. Um, so I was inspired to paint him back when he was released, and then I kind of put him on the shelf for a while. I moved down here and everything down to, to Raleigh. So I brought him out again today, and um, or I guess on Sunday, and I've been working on him. And he's a blast. He's got a lot of detail, beautiful sculpt. Um, and I'm kind of doing something a little different. I started with a very um, dark base coat and then kind of brightened it up with a lighter color and then just went with washes. Used very oh, okay. little actual paint. Wow. Um, other what was washes. your lighter color, out of curiosity? Like a yellowish or so something? So it was more like, um, it's, it's Screaming Skull, if you're curious, the name from GW's paint line. It's kind of like a tan bone color, okay. like a little bit of yellow. Like an ancient it. bone kind yeah, of. Yeah, a little yellow green in there. Um, but yeah, it looks very good over most colors. Mm -hmm. If it's done thinly, I use an airbrush. And then when you wash over it, it blends in with that darker color. And... Um, I mean, I'll have pictures up pretty soon, I think, uh, on my on Brushwork Mini, so you can check it out. But. Yeah, great. And you guys, you, if you if you don't know, um, Phillips has his own. He works with me, but he also has a, his own commission service, which is Brushwork Minis, as he said. And you can find that at Facebook slash Brushwork Minis. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, as the more I borrow his time, the less time I think he has for his own service. So <laughs> forgive him if his updates are slower than mine. Because um, he has a real job, and I just do this. Um, there was something else I was going to mention. Oh, when you mentioned the the painting or the uh, the washing, there's this guy mm -hmm. named James Wapple. Are you familiar with his work at all? 
don't believe. He coined this term called the shaded base coat technique, and basically mm-hmm. what it is is he he applies his base colors very, very lightly and very, very, I wouldn't say flatly, but I'd say fast. Like, he, he's, he's one of those guys who has great hand-eye coordination. And then he basically does, I would say, 80% of his work by washing and glazing. So that okay. kind of reminds me of that. And it's amazing. He's the closest thing to a watercolor miniature painter I've ever seen. Okay. Um, and he's, yeah. he's incredible. And I've always wanted to do something like it, but it's such a signature style that it's, like, it's so hard to emulate. Um but yeah, that's. I mean, I can't wait to see the spoon. I, I hope. I, I hope that the. You know, my expectations are it looks something like that, and I think it'll look really good. Yeah. Anything else on your painting desk you want to mention? Um, been doing a little more with the Infinity, but not too much since I think we last spoke. So they're uh, intense figures. You got to really focus on those. A lot guys. of detail, but yeah. it also helps. I mean, good detail that's well sketched out or right. uh, modeled. It makes it easier too to paint. So. Speaking of good detail, um, that'll take us right into news and rumors, mm-hmm. uh, where we talk about recent releases and, and uh, what's coming down the block. And you recently got your a very special Kickstarter in the mail. You want to talk about that a little yes, bit? Yes, Kingdom Death. For those of you who know or haven't heard, uh, Kingdom Death started about three and a half years ago on the Kickstarter. Yeah, it felt forever ago. Yeah, it got funded yeah, three and a half years ago. Um, actually, close, almost four. It was January of 2012, I think. Yeah, that'd be about right. So, um, and it just finally finished. So they shipped them out. I got my copy about two weeks ago, and it's it's impressive. It is a yeah. large box. I brought it for Caleb to see. It's, it's really, it's, it's much bigger than I would have given it credit for. Yeah. Um, it, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was not expecting the size of this thing. It's probably like, I don't know, like two or two and a half feet long, maybe? It's I'd huge. say about a foot by two and a half feet, yeah. yeah. And That's about insane. almost... Maybe almost a foot tall. So it's, and it's the, the scale inches. of the models also blew me away. Mm-hmm. We were we were joking about it. We think it's about thirty two mil. Yeah, like I think it says twenty eight on their yeah, website, but it's they're big. They're I, like I, I think it's hard to believe. <laughs> it's it's hard for me to argue that that's twenty eight because yeah. I feel like Reapers twenty eight. I feel like mm-hmm. they're like a heroic scale, and these guys I think are slightly bigger. Definitely. Um, but the cast is really nice. Like they Very did a good. really good yeah. job, and it is on sprue, which I was surprised at too. I thought mm-hmm. it was going to be a resin product, but. It's on sprue and it's got a, a ton of options. Um, <laughs> and, and as I've, as Philip has like sort of talked to me more and more about the game, it's more of like a you've said like a long term kind of board game campaign, mm-hmm. which is almost sort of like I don't know if I'd say it's like the monopoly of fantasy, but you talked a lot about how you're developing settlements and your survivors are more like just you know you don't really develop them as much as you develop the settlement. It is all about the settlement. Your survivors right. that you're playing tend to die a lot, right? And your goal so is... don't get attached, is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Most likely they'll die. They'll get severe injuries, which will carry over to the next year, um, or lantern year, as they call it, and then you'll need to get new survivors. So, Do you think from a painting and a hobby standpoint, if you spend a lot of time building a model and then the survivor dies, do you have to start over with another model? No. Okay. You can utilize the same models. I mean, you... So your painting, your painting isn't wasted because you're not at all. all no. That's good. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's a fantastic set. And the, the monsters that you showed me, and he started to say stuff like this is one of your first bosses. And it kind of felt like, I don't know, it felt like sort of a mix between a good comic and a good video game. Mm-hmm. Like it just it, it just had a really good feel. I love the art. Um, yeah. And I'm really excited to see this thing painted up. But I know that that's probably, you know, with it's everything else on your desk, down. it's a long way <laughs> down. <laughs> Plus, because it's a nicer set, you probably want to take some more time Definitely. with it. You want to do a better job. Uh, what else is coming out? So Tau have a ton of rumors out. Ooh. They have um, the the KV, I think one twenty eight. I'm sure I've got that wrong, but it's the big yeah, one, the, the giant new Riptide suit. version. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
Uh, well, but, no, not the Riptide, the bigger one. Yeah, the Imperial Knights. He's like, he's yeah, bigger than that. He's I think like he's, a, I think he's, he's Warhound sort of in between. Almost. I think he's about Warhound height because of the guns, but I think he's like just a little bit bigger than a knight, and he should be mm-hmm. at six hundred points. Yeah. Um, so a knight is about four hundred points, give or take. This guy mm-hmm. eclipses that, which I think he should. Um, and he's just a ridiculous firing platform. He's got. I mean, for you, do you, yeah, you don't actually do you play forty k? I do. Yeah. yeah. So like, he's got all of these support systems, and mm-hmm. people immediately started asking Forge World for FAQs because they were sort of like, "Hey, he's missing some of the basic battle suit systems," you know. And they were right. like, "No, that's intentional," because then they released this other thing right behind him called the Storm Surge, which is what looks like the Riptide. Right. Uh, but he's got a giant gun in the middle, and they said this is not a battle suit. It's something like a, I wouldn't say a support suit, but it's something like that. So it's not a true battle suit. It's a support gun type thing. Something like, like it's that. It's meant to stay behind lines. And it's actually got stabilizing platforms mm-hmm. on its feet. Um, so it's a really cool model, and uh, I would be more excited about this. Except I have a towel project on my desk <laughs> that's been sitting there for months, and I got it primed and I got the base layer painted. And then it just kind of has just fallen behind because of all the other stuff I've got. Yeah. And fortunately, the client is a really nice guy, and I'm doing it kind of as a, as a quid pro quo thing. So he's been really patient with me. But um, I wanted to email him and be like, hey, do you want to add these, these guys to your line? But I don't even have his basic stuff done yet. So there's, there's no <laughs> I've decided in a week or two I need to have a towel day, like we did the orc day a few mm-hmm. weeks ago, and just, and just kill it, yeah. just get it all done in a day. Um, okay, uh, the other release I want to talk about, obviously, was Scarbrand. There's a couple of little releases that they released for Corn, like mm-hmm. some other guys, and I don't really care about them. Well, Scarbrand kind of, was just a reboxing, a repackaging. No, he's brand new. Scarbrand? Yeah, the, the Bloodthirster one. Oh. Yeah, he's brand yep, new. You're, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of uh, the guy with all the maces and stuff that they just reboxed. That probably is a rebox. Yeah. Um, those guys, like, I'm actually kind of bored with Corn right now because yeah. there's just so much of it. And I know that we were trying to be consistent and be like, every time one comes out, we're going to paint it. Mm-hmm. And then it just didn't happen. It's that repetitive. Way. The, 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 it's repetitive, and then we had client commissions that were burning burning a hole in our pocket. We had to get those done. And it just we ran out of time. I might make a, an exception for Scarbrand, though, because he's incredible. He's really good looking. And, uh, like, I don't know, Do you? what do you think about him? I haven't actually, I've never actually talked to you about the Bloodthirsters, because you painted a Bloodthirster. I did paint a Bloodthirster. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have as many options as the Bloodthirster. He's he has kind of no options. One, yeah, he has like one, one axe. Guy. He has two axes. Although I did notice looking at the sprues that he looks like he has a lot of the same sprues as the Bloodthirster. That's cool. But with an extra one replacing, I think, a couple of things. That but, makes um, sense. Kind of the way a Predator yeah. chassis rep- or replaces mm-hmm. like a, a Whirlwind or whatever. Exactly. So, I mean, he looks interesting. He looks good. Um, I was actually kind of excited about the other model they released last week. Which, which was, was the the Priest. Um was his name he was it was a hero character for corn but it was like a like a skull priest or something there was some like guy that. i saw that looked kind of tall and lanky mm-hmm. was that him i think yeah yeah he looks pretty good he looked he like he had like a bald head or something like that he looked he was different i hadn't seen him before which yeah. is why he stuck out to me definitely he's more unique i guess the thing with scarbrand is he is very much like a bloodthirster i kind of feel like you could just easily proxy that probably why would you buy a new model <laughs> yeah sure. i agree and, and 130 dollars mm-hmm. he's not a cheap model he's more expensive than the is he really? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Um, one of the things I do like about him is that the wings really remind me of the mm-hmm. third edition wings. Because they, they sort of took it back. And what I like about that is it makes me feel like he's older. 
Like, mm-hmm. he's not your traditional, you know, bloodthirster. In fact, I think his face looks like it's got, like, scar tissue, like skull or bone. I think... I couldn't tell if it was, like, a skull mask that was Yeah, I think out. a mask for a bloodthirster would be kind of funny. Yeah. Like, not funny, like, ha-ha, yeah, more, no, like, like, weird. <laughs> like, he's at a kid's party, like, it's not me. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the wings look pretty good. The more I yeah. looked at them, the more I liked them. They're really tattered up. So I'm excited about His that. axes were cool, too. Yeah. And the rules-wise, he's actually he's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he's he's slow because he's, you know, he doesn't have wings. But he's not as slow as, let's say, a foot-slogging infantryman. He's kind of in between. He's at that nice monster range. Mm-hmm. So he makes up the ground fast. And the axes are, are really powerful. One of them, yeah. in particular, I think Carnage or something, is just insane. Because mm-hmm. um, one of them, I think, causes instant death if you do. I don't know, something like that. He has hatred and all those things. Like he has a lot of attacks. Can re-roll them if you miss. Yeah, he's got rolling after. He's got a book <laughs> to Someone pointed out that they said that they felt like he was the most powerful guy in 40k, uh, minus Drago, which is probably as it should be. Which again makes me disparage that Drago is again like the most unbeatable thing ever. Um, <laughs> but and I'm not a I'm not really a rules player, so I don't really, yeah. I don't care that much. But um, but it, it's funny that you know anytime anything comes out, people always compare it to like, oh, he's the best. And yeah. The bar keeps getting raised. Um, okay, so we're gonna put a pin in news and rumors for a second. And we're gonna move on to the the heart of our, our talk today, which is our uh, tips on technique, where we talk about uh, you know whatever is our main thing. And this week, our main thing is style versus technique. Um, and by that we mean that we've had I mean how long have you been painting now do you think I mean I've been painting actually this this is probably a good question like I painted my first mini when I was like 14 Mm -hmm. but I don't know if I would call that when I first started painting because that was pretty crappy so (laughs) I mean you started at that point that's I mean that's when I would say I started painting it was terrible definitely for a while Um, and it was awful do you remember the first mini you painted I do. Yeah, it was a yeah. starter set for Games Workshop. It had Space Marine, like five Space Marines with paints and a paintbrush. Oh, okay. I remember that set. Mm-hmm. It was like twenty five bucks. It was amazing. Yeah, was prices great were deal. great back then. But um, what? Yeah, so what? What color did you paint it? What? What color? Traditional ultramarine. Very ultramarine. Super thick paint was yeah, blotchy, blotchy and terrible. <laughs> I did. Um, I did a jeans. A friend of mine got me. The way he got me into forty k was he convinced me there was aliens in forty k. Like, and I was aliens was a really big when I was a kid. I loved it. So um, the the Ridley Scott version, not mm-hmm. any of Stephen King, Stephen King, <laughs> Stephen Zola version. Um, so he told me about Tyranids, and I immediately fell in love with them. And for some reason, he had a, a bag of, like, 30 Gene Stealers. And I don't know why. But he brought it to me like a kid would bring their lunch from home. So it was, like, 30 of these Gene Stealers in a bag. And I didn't prime them because I, I didn't know priming was important. So I took them home, and I painted them up. And I found I had to get cheap paint, so you go to Walmart for cheap paint. Yep. So I got the craft paint. And I got a purple metallic, like a pearlescent purple, and a pearlescent white because I liked the shininess. And I don't know what the blue was I picked out, if I even picked a blue. Um, so I've got these metallic-y looking guys with these great gobs of paint on them. And they just were awful. <laughs> and then to make matters worse, years later when I knew what I was doing a little bit better and I started to strip them down, I stripped them down in acetone instead of grease, instead of oil release. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever put plastic minis in acetone, but it's acid, basically. So just like acetone for nails removes nail polish acetone for plastic removes everything mm-hmm. so I went out there the next day and there was this big gooey mound of 30 gene stealers <laughs> which when you're 14 is like your entire month's allowance right <laughs> uh, so then I had nothing I went from having shitty models to no models <laughs> basically overnight 
Um, so anyway, but um, that's so, where you started. That's where I started. <laughs> so um, cut to like I, I guess twenty years later. I, I think I'm, I'm marginally better than that guy. Sure. Uh, and um, so now what we want to talk about is we've had a, I've had a lot of time to think about this and kind of there's the what I would call the GW heavy metal way of painting, mm-hmm. and then there is other ways of painting and I'm not, I don't think the GW every way to metal, metal way to painting is, is a fair there's the traditional way of painting mm-hmm. and then you have also guys that just basically say forget that they break with tradition and they go off and do their own thing and what I wanted to kind of do was just open up a discussion about which is better is there a better you know that sort of thing um, so in my experience what, when I kind of got into painting like I found that the harder techniques like blending and lining and edging were such a pain in the ass. I was always looking for shortcuts around mm-hmm. them, which is why I got into washing and glazing and blending when I could, but not traditional blending. And um, so I started to develop my own style. And we've kind of talked about this off air a couple times that as you develop your style as an artist, as you sort of paint more and more, you stop paying attention to what the rules say and you sort of start going with your gut more. Have Definitely. you found that to be the, your experience? Yeah, I mean, like you were saying, shortcuts. I think you start to find ways that fit your style I think sure. we call it style but it's the way you like to paint right and, and part of that has to do with your lifestyle yeah. if, you, if you're the kind of guy that likes to paint a model for 80 hours versus you like to paint 80 models in an hour mm-hmm. like your technique's going to be different um, how, how do you what do you uh, I don't really know see this is what I wanted I wanted to sort of have an open-ended discussion but here's the thing it's like it's such a broad topic so let's let's go into like some of the basics like one of the things that I think is the general goal at a miniature, maybe I'm wrong here, but the general goal is to make it aesthetically pleasing. Like, that's your yeah. overall goal. And all of the techniques work towards, one of the ways to do that is to create depth in your miniature. And all of the funny, the fancy techniques like highlighting and shading and shadows and washing and all that stuff are really sort of to separate your highlights from your, I wouldn't say, I'd say your shadows. Mm-hmm. So you're creating that level of depth. So you're trying to create what is basically a flat two-dimensional a three-dimensional model with no color, so it looks two-dimensional. And then you're trying to get it back to being three-dimensional. But more than that, you're trying to create great depth in three-dimension. Mm-hmm. And that's what all of the funny, like, I wouldn't say funny, I keep calling them funny techniques, but all of the advanced techniques like feathering and blending and lining and black lining and brown lining, and all of that is really designed to sort of pick out details and make them stand out to create depth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is great when you have eighty hours to work on a model, right. but when you when you don't, and when you and this sort of applies to when you have a business structure, you have to kind of figure out a way to make it more assembly line. And uh, for me, I'm always sort of looking for how can I get something that's an approximation of a good technique, but quickly. Like dry brushing is a good example of this. Mm-hmm. Dry brushing is kind of a poor man's highlight. You know, it's sort of like you're going to pick up some edges that you don't mean to, no matter how thin you get it down or how dry you get your brush. Inevitably, like I was, I was dry brushing some ultramarines the other day, and although I, my goal is to hit just the raised areas, you hit some of the flats. It, it's just kind of inevitable, and you can kind of glaze that down to sort of soften it or darken it. But all of this is, is sort of a long way of saying like I kind of paint towards what I'm, I'm aiming for. Mm-hmm. So if I'm aiming for a tabletop mini, I paint it like a tabletop mini. I don't waste time on hard technique. Um, what do you find is like your kind of go-to for sort of like do you find that you prefer to save time or really take your time or is it kind of a mix yeah it's hard to say because i definitely prefer to take my time if i want to when i'm painting my own minis i take my time sure that's how it is when you got commission you know that's 
it's something you got to you know base it on what level they want painted and all based that. Based on their budget, sure. Based on budget, yeah. yeah. Based on time frame, all of that. That's true so too. it really just depends. A lot of, I mean, a lot of commission artists only paint to their style. That's I see that a lot. They have they don't have levels. They have price. Mm-hmm. And they're exactly. like, this is what I paint to. And in, I think for those guys, it works for them because they're like, this is how I paint, and I don't like to leave areas undone, and I paint the way I paint. Um, and I think those guys have a pretty good thing going. Yeah. Do you what, do you think in your own business that's a model you'll adopt, or do you think you'll continue to adopt levels? Like, mine is all levels. Mm-hmm. Levels, levels across the board. What do you think you'll adopt more for brushwork? I would love to be in a place where it would be style, where yeah. just, people are paying me for my style and yeah. the way I paint. Um, I don't want to spend time doing something mundane or that I find boring so and if people appreciate your style they'll pay you for it so that's what about services that are kind of like so for example um, uh, it's not I can't think of the name of the guy's service right now um, well we'll use Awaken Realms because that's kind of mm-hmm. our go to uh, so Awaken Realms I think is a pretty stylized service yeah. I, I feel like they're, they do mostly airbrush of course but they do a lot of, a lot of detailing too um, but they're a great example, I think, of a service that is both stylized and, you know, they're very technical because their their hand-eye coordination on their stuff is great. They have a whole team of artists, but they've managed to blend all of them together seamlessly yeah. into a very transparent company. So you can't tell what one guy did versus what another guy did. Um, so I think they're a wonderful in-between mix of, like, that sort of stuff. Whereas you have someone like GMM, that's what I was trying to think of, or Grey Matter Musings, um, who is incredibly stylistic, and I actually don't think he has levels. I think he just has paint, and his stuff is is great. Um, but it's like when you book him, you book him for that. You don't book right. him for anything else. Um, so sort of dovetail out of that for a second. So why don't we talk about some about some of the techniques out there, um, and kind of like you know, for me, for example, because I'm a batch painter, and by that I mean I'm always doing like 400 minis, not four minis. <laughs> Uh, and there are some people that make a living out there doing 12 minis a year, and that's amazing. But for the rest of us who have to sort of make a living on bulk, um, we'll, we'll sort of take a technique real quick, and we'll just try it back and forth here, and we'll see where it goes. Um, and we'll, we'll sort of discuss, is it a good technique, and what's a, what's a cheaper version of the technique, maybe. So let's start with feathering, which is always my hardest technique to master. And feathering, for those of you who don't know, um, is basically blending, but it's not wet blending. It's actually sort of like blending the color traditionally how it was supposed to be blended, which is you take the color and you thin it out, and at the edges you disperse it thinly so that it rests on top of the other color so that lower colors come up through it, and so that the transition is seamless. And that's the bottom line, is you're trying to create a seamless transition. Essentially a glaze, right? I mean, that's Basically, but with a glaze, I think you're also toning the surface. Like if I, let's say I apply a highlight on something that's too bright, I can glaze it down. Now by default sure. that does blend it, Mm-hmm. But if I'm, let's say, applying a highlight to a model, let's say it's um, a muscle, and I'm applying a, a highlight, if I want to blend that down, I might put the brightest color on top and then using a brush that's like a wet brush so I don't drag out the... I'm not trying to absorb the paint, I'm trying to drag the paint. Mm-hmm. So I drag the paint down towards the shadowy area, and even talking about it's exhausting because it's so slow. <laughs> um and basically what you get is you get a seamless gradation between highlight and shadow, mm-hmm. and that's the whole goal. Now, that's what the traditional feathering is. Um, first off, do you ever do that? Do you actually ever use that technique? Because um, I almost yeah. never do. From I rarely time use it I from can. time to time. It depends. Usually, I feel like it's more to like fix a mistake. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it can be. I think that's, that's one thing. Um, 
So what? So why don't we? I've had a hard time mastering that technique. So I look for the poor and cheap and easy techniques. And one of them is, I think, washing yeah. to sort of blend in areas together. Um, and again, with the goal of making the seamless transition, the poor man's solution I think is wet blending. So where you mix, you have colors, you put a, a drying retarder on their palette. So let's suppose you're trying to blend red and blue to purple in the middle or something like that or uh, whatever. So you mix in some drying retarder with the blue, with the red, and you put it on the brush or on the palette. And then when you mix them together and you sort of blend them together with your brushes, you get that, that area in the middle where the colors merge. Mm-hmm. Um, and the transition becomes, you can't tell where one end paint ends and where the other begins. It's different, but it's kind of like a poor man's version of it. You know, it's an easier version of master. Uh, do you ever wet blend? Do you ever find that technique is something you use? I do wet blend. Because um, you have a wet palette that you use. I do, yeah. yeah. And that helps immensely. But I don't know. I, I don't honestly know if I think it's fair to say it's a poor man's version of feathering, just because... I think it's equally as difficult. You can easily just overwater. You can sure. do things for. So I think they both have their, you know, skill that you need to learn. One of the bigger um, problems with feathering is that if you thin out your paint too much, you get the the coffee ring effect. And what that yeah. is is where you the water when water evaporates. And I had to do a lot of research to understand this. But when water evaporates, it evaporates evenly if there's no particles in it. If there's particles in it. It, the particles basically, in particles I mean dirt, pigment, whatever, they act like anchors, and so the water evaporates around the particle. And unfortunately, if that's paint, then as it evaporates, it evaporates towards the particle, which creates a ring. Uh, so that's where you get, like, splotchy blends, basically. Yeah. And, you know, one way to avoid that is to use distilled water to thin. Another way to do that is to basically make sure that you use a thinner not use traditional tap water like because it has yeah. right yeah. yeah so use some sort of medium um okay uh well, let's talk about like for example lining or edging mm-hmm. um so that's when for me traditionally that's when people take a, a brush and they'll take it and it'll be a firm brush and they'll dip it in the paint a little bit and they'll, and they'll basically just use the edge of the brush to catch the hard edges of something mm-hmm. like let's say armor or a sword or whatever and it creates the illusion of a highlight on the edge and it doubles by separating the light from the dark so let's suppose you paint a tank black and it's all black well you want to show that there's different levels to it so one way you do that is you take your brush and you edge out the plates and that creates the illusion of depth Mm -hmm. it's not really depth because really it's lines but to the community as a whole it looks like it it allows you to separate the dark from the, the raised areas so it creates depth so it's effective in that way, but holy shit, is it time-consuming. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's the GW way. And right. that, they love lining. Yeah. Everything is lining. I don't know if their painters love lining, but... The, Maybe but not. This, Probably but, not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the problem is, is they line everything. Yeah. Like, every inch of the model is lined in every area. Not only, yeah. like, the hard edges, but the soft edges, like skin and mm-hmm. muscle and... Or shadows, shadows. where there shouldn't be any lines. Right. Here. Yeah. So even though it looks good, man, is it time-consuming. And that's mm-hmm. something that even at the highest levels we paint to, we don't do it the heavy metal way because there's no way to make that, make that time effective. No. Like, when you see them paint, like, a squad... Like, here's, a, here's a good example. Like, the guy who painted that Stormcast model we looked at on the podcast, like, four or five weeks ago, um, he did a great job lining that guy. But it took him eight hours to do that one figure. Yeah. And that was even with, like... I mean, that was in real time, but... Can you imagine doing a squad of those? Like, 80 no hours for 10. No way. There's no way. Two weeks for 10 guys? No. I cannot charge enough to make that profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, what's another good technique that's sort of like, um, 
I guess dry brushing is kind of a, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with that, that is kind of like the poor man's version of lining, in my opinion. Sure. It's essentially you're picking it out quickly on the hard edges. The side, or the, you pay for it in the fact that you often get a lot of, like, what I call like a dusty look. Dust is, that's, that's the right way to it's, put it. It's, yeah. You get scattered flakes of the pigment everywhere. And if um, you're doing it properly, you're drying out, you're leaving, so the paint is made up of binder, pigment, and medium, or solvent. Mm-hmm. So you're drying up the solvent and leaving the binder in the pigment is the idea, or the goal. Right. So the binder allows the pigment to cling to the model, but no matter what brush you use, you're going to stray. Like, Definitely. Um, and then the problem is if you want to do touch-ups, that's okay. But if you do, if you paint with an airbrush like I do, your your zenithal highlights and your gradations create layers, uh, you know, like, uh, not layers, but gradient gradation where I can't just take the straight color and put it on the model anymore. No. Because it won't look right. Because I, I've done it with the airbrush and now there's a transition a transitional area. So God forbid I get the high, the dry brush there, I can't I can't make that work. Um, so then your only solutions are basically like to redo that area, which why would you? Or to basically I don't know, like just touch it up as best you can, I guess. And, um, what about so glazing is a good is a good one. We'll kind of mm-hmm. use that one for a second. What do, what do you consider glazing? Um, glazing in generally it's usually something I do towards the end um, to kind of unify certain colors together. That's the best way. I feel like it's usually it's very thin, um, and I typically will do it over several colors together, like say an arm or something, and bring all the colors into one. Tone. Yeah. So I mean, from a sheerly like scientific, or I don't want to say scientific, from a technical standpoint. You, the glaze is a thin down paint, effectively, mm-hmm. and it's got thinner, thinner. The pigments are or more spaced out because of the thinning. So when you apply it to the model, the pigments get spread out, kind of like dotism, I guess. And uh, so you've got some of that color on different areas. And so when you see it visually, and the color, when you're looking at the color, there's some of that. Let's say you use blue. You some of that blue is over whatever you put it over. So some of that color is there, and it kind of creates like a top coat. Yeah. So you've got a little blue over this, a little blue over that, and so like you said, it kind of it makes you, it makes it harder for you to discern the scene or the level or the difference between the two areas. Mm-hmm. So it, it blends; it kind of blends them in together. Um, so those are all some sort of you know fancier or or, or more sty- more difficult techniques, more technical techniques. Um, what about stylistic painting? Do you have any sort of like? I guess when I think about stylistic painting, mm-hmm. I think about like a nice way to say it might be breaking the rules like going outside the norm if you if you take the base rule of i'm trying to create an aesthetic model and i'm trying to create depth and if you those are the only two rules that apply then throw everything else out the window and just see what you get mm-hmm. um so to use james wapple as an example i think that he is an incredibly stylistic painter because even though he lays down your base colors very quickly then he just shades with washes and glazes until he's blue in the face and the finished model is very organic. The shadows are very natural. The highlights are very soft, and it just looks great. Um, and you don't ever see any very, very rarely do you see hard edging, hard lining. But his models are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sort of like to, we're going to jump into this in tutorial of the week in a second. Uh, we're going to talk about third fate creations, but we're going to have a link down to his tutorial section. Uh, so this is a guy that's also very stylistic, and what he does is he. Um, he paints models like he says 90% by airbrush and 
they're all done. I mean, I don't know how would you describe it. It's just it's like a, I don't know like it's it's like it's more like artwork than miniatures. Like he uses yeah. miniatures as a canvas for his art. Pretty much, and that that's probably the best way to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> so like I came to this guy's work because he did a few towel vehicles, and the mana. If you've ever seen the mana, is like. I don't know, three feet across, it's insane. Yeah. So he used it, and he did, like, a galaxy, like, paint scheme on it, where it looked like a planet was being eclipsed, and there was a star field, and there was asteroids. And you can imagine that the towel up in space are using it like camouflage, but it just was beautiful. And he didn't really pay attention to where any of the gizmos were, any of the devices were, any of the weapons were. He just said, forget all that, I'm just going to use the, the mana as a canvas, and I'm just going to paint the way I want. Mm-hmm. And it looked great. Um, but it breaks every convention. Right. of miniature painting there is um, like he didn't really care about any of that kind of stuff um, I don't know do you have any sort of stylistic painters out there you kind of like or maybe not even painters but just a style you've seen that you kind of dig yeah I mean there's one that I see uh, on cool mini I can't remember the artist's name but he he does like everything in these sort of like cracks like all of his all the armor on everything dreadnoughts marines whatever he paints uh, line cracks and everything and highlights oh, wow. them and everything and it looks incredible um, does it look like a tension crack or like a stress fracture or something like a f- like it's been fractured yeah wow. or like shattered glass more like it yeah. so it's all broken up the entire model's covered in it wow and it's incredibly complicated very nicely beautifully done um there's a lot of mediums out there too that people are starting to adopt and um like for example GW has a crackle medium now I mm-hmm. think Called something sand, uh, uh, grill and earth. I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, but it's hard. You know, it's it's it, it would be unfair to say that they came to the the crackle medium on their own. The crackle medium has been out there for years. Yeah. I've used it on a variety of projects. I used it on wings for a model on a tutorial a few years ago to show veins. I used it uh, on some some power weapons to show electricity. Um, so it's really just one of those mediums that you can really kind of have some fun with. Mm-hmm. And there's paints out there that are like textured paints and metallic spray paints and stone paint where you kind of spray on stone texture in an aerosol form which is sort of like a textured spray Hmm. and I don't know I just feel like there's more out there than your traditional painting you know it's like you don't have to just restrict yourself to the way you've seen it done you can do it the way you want to do it and you can break the rules and if it looks good it looks great Um, do you have a preference between the two like stylistic versus technical or do you sort of find that you blend the two uh, it really depends on the model, honestly. Sure. Um, if it's a high tech sci fi like Infinity and stuff, I'm going. I've gone pretty technical with. Sure. It's a lot of hard, like bright lights with non metallic metal type looks, um, and that's technically a style. But it's also, I mean, it's very traditional technique where your light source is where it's supposed to be. Right. Um, and then other areas I like doing more. Uh, like Gut Rod has a lot of washes. Right. He's more organic. Um, and so I tend to jump between styles. I'm never happy and content with just one simple way, um, or single way, I should say, because none of them are simple. <laughs> that's true. Um, but, yeah, there's some people just want to stick to one style, and that's great. Um, I tend to, to jump around a bit, but I tend to stray more away from the um, traditional styles, the GW style. I, I started with that. I learned a lot from it. It's a great I've, resource yeah. tool when you first get started. Definitely. And because, I mean, I came into the hobby through GW. Is that how you came into the hobby? Yeah. Or So I think for a lot of people, they come into the hobby that way and they see the way GW paints or, or the way that they the traditional heavy metal guys paint and they have to assume, for sake of argument, that that is the way that you should paint, mm-hmm. which is not the case. No. And, and I kind of <laughs> wonder if like, if people came in through a different way, 
that they would not feel that way. Um, so, you know, I, I think the goal with this discussion was to sort of see, you know, whether or not, you know, there was an advantage to either one. I, I think that you probably probably summed up best by saying that it depends on what you're painting. It mm-hmm. depends on what it is you're working on and, and how the style applies to that. There was a, a quote that I was trying to pull up, and now that, of course, that I'm, I'm in the middle of it, I can't quite get to it. Um, but it was by, um, it was by, I think it was by Gavin Thorpe. Oh, my phone's going off. Uh, I thought I had it off. Uh, but the quote was basically like, um, painting models has more to do with style than fancy technique. And what you do with your models is not something that can be determined by the game designers. Uh, it is really designed based on what you want to do with it. Um, which I thought was just a, when I first read that quote, I couldn't believe, first off, that it was a GW guy that was saying it. Um, but I, I, I just felt like the honesty of the quote was really great. And it was mm-hmm. more like about you know, paint the way you want and paint the model the mm-hmm. way you like it. And if that's the way, if your model, if you want to paint, you know, heavy metal way, great. And if you want to paint like third fate, awesome. And you just kind of figure out what is your right style and kind of go with that. Um, and hopefully, ideally, kind of like in the Bruce Lee kind of way, eventually everything gets blended together. Like the style mm-hmm. becomes the technique and the technique becomes the style. And It's definitely something you want to develop. I actually had a funny story from a a teacher back when I was doing an art class and we were all trying to figure out okay what's our style how do we you know make ourselves unique and he would ask us he's like uh, you know do your signature write your signature mm-hmm. and um, so everyone you know you write your signature and you just be like there it is <laughs> basically like it was kind of weird and corny but at the same time it's like I had my signature was kind of rushed a little bit. It's not. It's very simple. I don't. Mine is super messy. Yeah, which makes perfect sense for yeah. how I think. It is. It is. It actually. The more I think about, it, the more like it, my. I like to do things more organically. I don't like to have a very technical look to it sure. half the time. So that's in a in a sense, my signature does kind of match my paint style. I think that's an interesting it test. Was, it's kind of yeah. like because that's the way your brain interprets stuff, mm-hmm. and it also has to do with. I guess the state of mind you're in. Are you in a hurry to write your signature? You know, yeah. you, like, do you take your time and you're meticulous with it? So, yeah, as a very simple, like, kind of a Rorschachy test. That's great. <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, well, um, we're going to just launch right into the tutorial of the week, and we're going to kind of breeze through it. Because we kind of touched base on this with Third Fate Creations. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely recommend going to his site. And we're going to put up a link to his tutorial section. And th- this guy, you know, for me, he's kind of the pinnacle of sort of style stylistic painting and he has I was going to list one tutorial but he has like 50 really good ones mm-hmm. and they're from everything from glowing to OSL so what I'm going to say is go to his site look at these tutorials check them out and maybe give us your two cents if you like them you know tell us what you like about them if you don't don't worry about it um, we you know it's hard for us to sort of measure who's all listening to this but I know that we're getting more and more views every week on our Facebook page because I see them uh, and I know that we finally got put onto the Bella Lost Souls uh, weekly podcast thing. So I know we're getting more readership, or no, more readership, more listenership, but we'd really like to hear from you guys if you want to comment on our Facebook page. Yeah. Like us, tell us what you think. Tell us what you want to hear about. If Please. you guys have future <laughs> topics. Because it's really just me and him sitting around kind of trying to decide what we're talking <laughs> Sometimes about. Sometimes we run out of ideas. We so. do. Um, so why don't we just jump on into product review real quick. Um, so this week uh, we rough, rushly decided to let you do it 
and talk a little <laughs> bit because you had, you, had, you had preached to me on this idea of these colored pencils for painting a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. which I was like, that's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you, you convinced me that it might be something to try, so I bought a little pack, and you used them on the Brotherhood of Ultramar Dreadmonts, right? I did, yeah. So do you want to just roughly like explain what they are, what they do, and how you use them, maybe? Sure. So I came across this in a tutorial. I think it was actually trying to... This guy was doing Infinity Models in a quick manner, and he actually just, uh, brought up using watercolor brush or not brushes, but uh, watercolor pencils. And which look just like colored pencils. Kind of an, like. I, you may even be able to get away with just using a colored pencil. I'm not sure. I haven't tried that, but I bought some myself as well, and I did try on the Brotherhood of Ultramar. It's essentially it's a quick way to do line work. You have hard edges, like on Dreadnought. You see, there's very hard edges on the armor plating. You can use this to quickly just go over those edges and then be done, and you get a, a pretty good solid line. It's not as I would say as clean maybe mm-hmm. as um as if you painted it almost like a dry brush are effect, you using the edge of the lead or are you using the tip of the lead i use the edge primarily for sure yeah and some of the uh, more detailed recesses you might have to use the tip but it's it's Just fairly accurate I do think. you do you ever find that like um that the abrasive quality of the lead will pull the paint away like it's stripping no. it down no no no. it's actually very soft maybe that's the distinguishing factor between a regular color pencil do you have to wet it down at all or is the watercolor more in reference to the pastel quality of it i think when you use it on for watercoloring specifically you're supposed to but uh-huh. i found that it's better not to use it so just use it water. straight out of the box just put straight on mm-hmm. um and the pack i bought was a crayola pack and i got it for like eight bucks and it had all of the regular colors in the rainbow so mm-hmm. purple red blue green um did you are you using them from like a more advanced I guess a better line like a Winsor Newton or a Stanley. No, or something. I mean I paid like ten bucks. I had like twelve different colors and things. Yeah. I just picked mine up from Michaels, but it cool. was pretty simple. Yeah. Um, one of the things I hear a lot is when people talk about how they want to do lines, and you know, I had a, I had a guy a Necron client a few months ago, and he wanted me to do lining twice, uh, and the lining was like first a darker green, and then a lighter green for a finer highlight, and. I did it for a while, and then I realized that because of the black undercoat, you really couldn't tell. You really mm-hmm. couldn't see it. So eventually I just settled on the higher highlight and just called it a day. Um, and it was just one of those things where it's like the theory was better than in practice. It's like mm-hmm. in theory it sounded good, two levels of green on the edge, that'll look nice. Well, that, that's very GW. Right. <laughs> you do. But I was like, that's twice the work, and yeah. you're really not going to see it. I was like, yeah. I don't really want to do that. Um, okay, so would you recommend the watercolor pencils to other people? Do you think it's a good thing to add to your arsenal? I think it's great. I mean, it was very fast, simple, and it, it looks good. I mean, cool. Yeah. Well, we'll post a link to the ones, um, to just some generic ones out there, and you guys can pick up a pack for 10 bucks. Did you get yours at Michael's, or did you get yep. it online? Yeah, Michael's. Michael's is like, for me, it's kind of like a, it's a sick addiction. When I go in there, I go in there <laughs> with the goal to buy one thing, and I always come out of there with something I don't need, um, which inevitably, you know, I, I might use down the road, but... Uh, all right, we're going to go into our one-minute rants uh, because we're we're starting to get close to our one-hour mark. We try to keep these things to an hour because we don't want to you know bore you to death. Um, so uh, this week I am going to talk about um, Reaper additive mixing balls uh, and specifically how they work with the dropper bottles. So um, I'll put a minute on the clock, and here we go. So Reaper makes these dropper bottles, which are great for the most part, um, and they put these additive balls in there, which are kind of like BBs, and they put them down in there so when you shake them, it, it breaks apart the paint, and it sort of mixes it up, and when you shake a spray paint can, it's the exact same thing you hear in there, it's an, it's a, it's an additive ball. Mm-hmm. 
And they put these little skulls in there, which are supposed to be really cool because they're like a prize at the bottom of a cereal box. <laughs> and when you empty out your paint, you get the little skull. But the problem is, is that when you when you get low on your paint and you pull it upside down, it gets stuck up in the tip and it gets jammed and <laughs> it, you can't get it out. Yep. And now if I have to get the paint out, I have to open up the bottle and the paint goes everywhere and it gets all over stuff and it might get on my hand and my hand might get on the mini and it's going to ruin everything. And what the hell, Reaper? So it was a great idea. But the problem is, it's just too small. Mm-hmm. So my suggestion is, Reaper, get a bigger additive ball, put an additive ball that's big enough that it's you're not going to like block up the dropper, but can also break up the paint. And you know what? If it's a bigger skull, that's okay. I'll use that on something. I'll use yeah. it on a project. <laughs> I always look for the prize at the bottom of the box. Like I'm always looking for it. Um, but some of the bottles, they don't even have skulls. They're just beads. And that just even irritates me more. Because then it's like, where's my prize? It's just a bead. So overall, Reaper added the balls. What the hell? Um, do you have anything you'd like to rant on this week? No, I'm, doing, I'm terrible at the, the rant. What a waste. What a waste. <laughs> I can't ever think of something. What about the people that are tuning in and are just coming to the one minute rant to find I, out what you're going to rant I am about? a disappointment to them. I That's apologize. I should rant on your <laughs> lack of a My rant. My lack of a rant. Um, is there anything unhobby related you'd like to rant on? Uh... You're pathetic. What yeah. the fuck is your I mean, I could go off on politics, that. but no, that's just terrible. I don't think we're going to lose what two <laughs> yeah. listeners we have out there if we do that. <laughs> no, um, well, that'll just take us directly into our outro then. We are out of here for the week. This is just a reminder that uh, White Metal Games is a miniature painting service operating out of Raleigh, North Carolina, and we offer a wide range of wargaming products and services. Uh, Brushwork Minis is also a wargaming service operating out of Raleigh, North Carolina. And we work together on some tandem projects, but we also do individual projects. So check out my site at whitemailgames.com. Uh, you want to do a shout-out for yours? Oh, sure. Please uh, stop by Facebook Brushwork Minis. Um, yeah, take a look. <laughs> um, you can also check us out on the web uh, for, the, for the podcast, also on Facebook. Currently, it's just a Facebook page. Uh, so it's facebook.com slash warcouncil. Um, and you can find out updates there. I don't update that as much as I do my white metal stuff because I find it a bit redundant. Um, but I try to update it with some, some cool stuff when I can. So be sure to check it out. Please like us because I get like a like a year on that page. It would be great to get more than five likes. Um, I'm pretty sure most of those are my family. And, uh, you know, for everything else, um, I guess just be sure to check back on our white metal site. We are accepting commissions. Even though we're, we're getting actually, like, we're getting kind of flush right now. We're looking pretty good for the end of the year. So we are, I guess, looking for projects for 2016 moving forward. So if you have some stuff you want to have painted up for next year, if you're, you know, saving up money for Christmas this year, perfect. Save your money. Get in touch with us. Let us know when you want to start next year, and we would love to put on a yarn or queue. Um, so that's about it for now. Uh, until next time, uh, my name is Caleb Dillon with White Metal Games. I'm Phil Foreman with Brushwood Minis. And put your minis where your mouth is.